Hello and welcome back. My name is Rob Wong and I am the Great Day Guy and let's talk about meditation. I just finished 100 hours of meditation over the course of 10 days and man, I've got some shit to share with y'all. So the first thing I wanted to spell is some misconceptions about what meditation is and is not. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start with my own misconceptions about it because I can't talk intelligently about anything else. Um, so my, my view of meditation was always that it was just some person sitting on a cushion, cross-legged, maybe oming a bit, and using that to get centered, using that to, to fall away from the stresses in their own mind, uh, maybe use that time to get some clarity on what was happening. Now, I understood that part of that process was to focus on your breath, focus on breathing. And the other part of that process was to allow thoughts to arise and fall away as you, and you just notice them. And other than that, not a real great understanding of what was going on there. And uh, now that I actually have done a bunch of meditation, the way that it occurs to me is this. Meditation feels like a slow motion acid trip. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll explain. So uh, the, my, my view of acid is that it causes the brain to begin to free associate a lot. It helps me personally sort through any issues that I am dealing with currently. I find that I'm able to coach or counsel myself through situations that I wouldn't have normally tackled. Um, I end up getting a lot of interesting insights about who I am and the way that I see the world. But at the end of it, it's really easy to dismiss all that because, well, drugs, right? Like, I, you were on drugs the entire time, Rob. You were hallucinating. None of that is real. So it kind of devalues the entire experience. This is not really something that you can take away, right? It's easy to dismiss. With meditation, you are left to work for your discoveries and you're sober the entire time. So there's really no writing it off. Um, and so I found out a lot of interesting things about myself, about the way that I see the world and about things that would impact relationships and dating in a really significant way. So we're gonna talk about all of that today. So one of the first things to note then is that the style of meditation that I did was Vipassana. And so I, I arrive at the, I arrive at the 29 Palms complex. And one of the first things that they asked me to do is to fill out this big ass form about like my personal information. It's like date of birth, name, why you're here, all of that information. And the last question is like, How's your relationship with your family? Immediately, it was like, red flag. Why am I doing this? Like, why do they need information about my family? And it's followed up with the one-two punch of, we're going to need you to turn in your cell phone and your wallet and your keys. So right off the bat, um, very confronting situation where it's like, am I about to get scammed? Is someone going to boost my car and I'm just going to be stranded in the desert in this complex? With <laughs> and thankfully, that is not the case. Um, so the way that Vipassana works, the way that the meditation works in this particular instance, right? And keep in mind, there are many different styles of meditation. The way that this one works is that you take on the agreements of a monk or a nun, right? And that means that you don't eat meat, 
you don't kill things, you are completely silent. And again, this is like a Buddhist monk, right? So, um, yeah. Uh, and in addition to that, you can't have sex. And you're, you're very much following the strict lifestyle, including the, the waking up at like 4 a.m. and meditating for up to 11 hours a day, right? Very little opportunity to do anything else. Uh, you're eating vegetarian, uh, you're sleeping on a foreign bed, and after a while, surprisingly, meditation begins to hurt. <laughs> now, the mentally grueling aspect I was kind of expecting, because I've talked to a couple of friends who have done this, uh, one, of, one of whom has done this repeatedly, and he's mentioned that every single time, after a few days, he's like basically convinced himself that it's a cult, and his brain is telling him, it's time to go, we gotta run away, quit this experience, just go. Just go. And what I came to find was, even though I'd been prepared for that, um, I wasn't prepared for how convincing my brain would be when it came to offering up reasons for me to not meditate. And you, you want to take a look at this from your own perspective, right? Is this true for me or not? Is this something that I do? And, and look at it from that point of view. I'm not going to say that this is something that everybody does, but I am going to say that this is something that my brain does a lot. Um, and that, that was noticing that when I was, was it, when I was trying to meditate, my brain would try to do anything besides that, right? It would, it would dredge up the past about areas where I felt they were incomplete, um, it would dredge up old grudges, right? It would, it would look and try to problem solve in those situations. What am I supposed to do? It would jump into the future and make plans, try to, try to troubleshoot or to create a, a better vision for my business. And sometimes it would just fantasize and daydream. Sometimes it would just drift on like some random thought tangent. It would try to do anything but what was required of it in that moment, which arguably was pretty basic. Sit there, breathe, pay attention to your body sensations. Now, one thing to note was that like after a while I caught my brain looking for any reason to leave. And one of those was like, oh, well, you know, I should probably wear a watch so I can know how much time has passed. I, I need to go back to my room, right? I need to leave the meditation hall right now. Or sometimes it would be like, uh, you know, I kind of feel like peeing. You need to go. And in both of those instances, I actually had zero reason to leave. When you're there, someone will ring a gong when it's time to stop meditating. So you don't have to keep track of time. When you're there, um, you know, you, or at least for me, I, I would go to the bathroom before I meditated. So, like, literally, I just finished peeing. And then five minutes later, my brain is like, oh, no, no, this is an emergency. You got to pee now. Like, I feel some pee sensations coming on. Just leave. So, so really, what you get a chance to do when you're meditating is to get really close and personal, really intimate with you. And it's like the best and worst possible versions of you. It's the you that has ADD. It's the you that can't stomach being alone or being bored. It's the you that doesn't know what to do in conditions of uncertainty. And it's your job to sort of quiet that mind. Now, there are a couple of ways to approach doing that. What worked for me was uh, 
At first, it was slowing down my breathing. I wasn't sure why. Uh, I guess part of the process sort of reminded me of yoga. And I remembered in yoga that if I breathed into the pain, eventually it sort of made the process easier. So I started doing that. Five second breaths in, five second breaths out. And I came to find that that helped me meditate through like an entire hour at a time. Like even if I was in pain, I could make it. Um, And in looking back at that, I can see that that's a grounding technique, right? I was actively preventing my body from going into fight, flight, or freeze, a mode in which it will catastrophize everything that's happening, a mode in which it is not okay being still. It wants action, it wants to do things, and it will make snap decisions. So I was sort of forcing my brain into a state of calm. Now the way that this can serve you in your dating and relationships, if you're in a situation that is potentially confronting, if you're experiencing emotional pain, slow breathing will actually do a lot. If you can hit pause on the conversation, let them know, hey, like, I got to take a break. It's nothing to do with you, everything to do with me. I'll be back in like five minutes. And then you spend that five minutes slow breathing. When you come back, you'll be in a place of full power, right? What was bothering you before will just kind of bounce harmlessly off of you. Really useful stuff, but also not how you were supposed to take on this particular type of meditation. So I was kind of cheating in a lot of ways there. The other thing that I noticed was just how much my physical discomfort fed into my emotional discomfort. And to give an example of that, I noticed that when my feet were really hurting from being in a kneeling position for like half an hour, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, it was really easy for my brain to go back to places of trauma or past incompletion. Memories that were painful to me. It's almost as though the physical pain that I was suffering was like a cue for my brain to start dredging up the emotional pain that I had previously experienced. And the corollary that I can draw between this situation and what you might go through in your dating life, what you might go through in your relationships, is that if conditions are uncomfortable, right, if you are getting too warm, if you didn't treat your stomach right the night before and you had a bunch of stuff that you don't normally digest very well, like milk or like a shitload of dairy, right, or you just had too much sugar, your body will begin to create sensations of discomfort. And while your mind, your conscious mind might not be aware of it, your unconscious mind is. It'll pick up on those signals and then it'll tell you that you're uncomfortable because of the person in front of you, right? Ever notice how easy it is to get really pissed off and into a road rage when it's really warm out? Same deal. So in a lot of times, there are... You want to pay attention too, right? Like there are a lot of instances where physical discomfort will cause us to show up in a way that we don't want to show up, right? Where we'll be like emotionally charged and we're on the first date and this person's like, why is this person so angry? Like, why is this person so emotional, right? And this happens too during the time of the month, right? I'm in physical pain, so I'm angry, right? And I'm angry at everyone because I'm suffering. So this person must be at the root of the suffering. And you want to get, this is not your rational brain. This is your lizard brain. It's just trying to survive and it's making snap judgments. Because I'm feeling pain, I need to get away from this situation, this person, this building, this job, this car. I can't even, I can't even right now. 
Same thing with our partners, right? A lot of times fights can be avoided if we can just get ourselves to a place where we're more resourced. So do I need to turn on the air conditioning? Do I need to get to a more hospitable environment? Do I need to eat something? Am I hangry right now? Do I need water? And a lot of times when we take care of those basic needs, all of a sudden the urge to be in a fight kind of goes away. So something to look out for, right? And this is a very, this, this is so applicable, right? If you're looking for commitment, if you're looking for a long-term relationship, this is a skill you want to master, right? Because none of us, there is not a single one of us that wants to be in a relationship where the fighting is happening all the time, right? We, there is no chance, there is no possibility of commitment if we don't first understand what causes us to get into conflict in the first place. And the minute that we can control that is the minute that the possibility of long-term commitment begins to arise, right? You ever notice that the couples that work out tend to be the people that were the happiest to begin with, right? They have such a positive outlook on life. They're very rarely activated by the things that are happening around them. It is no accident that they end up in committed relationships. And in a lot of cases, it has almost nothing to do with the physicality of it, right? There's gonna be some attraction, of course, because they're dating or they're married, they're in a long-term relationship. But sometimes you run into couples where it's like, I really don't see what they see in each other, right? Or like one partner is significantly to you less attractive, but it still works, right? It still works, why? because one or both of those partners has mastered the skill of de-escalation, has mastered the skill of knowing themselves, so they spend a minimum of time getting into petty squabbles. And that's the thing about those fights, right? They destroy everything we seek to create. They just wipe it out. It's like a flood happens in our relationship and now we have to rebuild from scratch. And the longer you can go without having that flood, the more structures and foundations you can build in your relationship. The more glorious, the more intricate, the more intimate it becomes. So this is mission critical. <laughs> now there's a lot more that I got from meditation and if you haven't done meditation before, I highly recommend it. I might be coming up with a YouTube series where I instruct people on the very basics of it so you begin to get the results and the benefits of this I, I highly recommend this tool, particularly if you're having issues with self-love, self-acceptance, right? The cure for self-loathing is to spend a lot of time with yourself getting to know you. And it's only just a matter of time before you find out many, many reasons why you're amazing. But that can only happen when you take the time to look for yourself in peace and quiet. All right, so that is all the time that we have for today. I think we might have gone a little bit long. My name is Rob Wong, and I am the Great Date Guy. And you can find us online at greatdateguy.com. We'll catch you in the next episode.